Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Hallelujah. Now, if you're already dead, I'll just leave and let you die here. Praise God. Come alive. Amen. We got something to say. We got something to do. Remember, we sang that song, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to keep silent. Amen. Praise is one of the great proclamations of faith. It is a language of faith. We need to use it. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to preach to you today about how Phyllis has been treating me. No, that's a... Yeah, hallelujah. And I want to talk to you today about Jesus lived life. Now, we wouldn't think that Jesus, the Son of God, would have had problems in his life. But he did. And he had problems in his life. He was tempted in every way that we were. In other words, every problem brings an opportunity to handle it wrong. But Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. Yet, he sinned not. Jesus lived life. Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. This is one of the great foundational stones of our faith. Now, there are many people, cults, modern-day science, many false theologians and theological viewpoints, false prophets that deny the virgin birth. They even say that it's impossible. Well, before they ever thought about saying it, it already been said. It's not impossible with God. Amen? Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. This is a promise of the incarnation of Christ, God becoming flesh to redeem or to have a purpose to complete. Let's go to Mark, the 10th chapter in verse 45. Mark 10, 45. I want to lay some of these scriptural bases. We might say, well, I know that. I, I know that. I know that we know everything but we should never get tired of rehearsing those things that we have adhered to or believed in. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for a ransom of many. Jesus came with a purpose. 
He did not just come for some unknown reason. He came for a divine purpose in the counsels of God. And so Jesus comes not to be ministered to, but to minister to. Jesus was a servant. A servant is someone that does the will of another without any expectation of a return or of his own initiative or well-being. Notice what it says, that a Jesus came to be a servant, to minister. The word minister simply means to be a waiter, to cater to somebody else's present need. Jesus came to minister, to serve, really like a Christian deacon. That means that they were to care for other people. They were to use their talents and their skills to minister to someone else that their life could be exhorted, strengthened, encouraged, enriched. And Jesus came to be a servant, to minister to you and I. He came not for his own purpose. He came for a God purpose. And Jesus knew very well what he was getting into. He was coming into a fallen world. A world that was godless, a world that was mindless of God. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3.16. And again, there's, I've got a whole collage of scriptures here, but it's important that we look back at them. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then it declares that God, or the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. This is what is being declared by Timothy. Now here we have, hundreds of years later, Timothy is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And what does he do? He tells us the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. It's important that you and I believe this. That we believe this. Not just that, oh yeah, well, Jesus was born in a manger. It's far more than just that. And it says justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up unto glory. Then if we could have Romans 8.3. Again, these are all contributing to our faith that Jesus was God made flesh. For what the law could not do in that it was weak, through the flesh. God sending his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus took up on him 
not the nature of angels, but the nature of man. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, it condemned the light that lived after the flesh and did not live according to the will and the purpose of God. Now let's go to Colossians 2.9. You say, man, you're going to take us through the whole Bible? Well, yeah, we got the whole day. Hallelujah. And uh, Colossians 2, 9, and it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead in a physical form. Now, before Jesus came, there was no revelation of God or no visible evidence of God and His will. And if you'll go to Colossians 1.14, I believe it is. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Why Jesus came. All right, let's go to Hebrews 2.9. You didn't know there were so many books in the Bible, did you? Hallelujah. Hebrews 2.9. And it says, But now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. That word angels there is, has to do with deity. For the suffering of death. Notice that Jesus made lower than the angels for a purpose. The suffering of death of physical death crowned with glory and honor that he may by the grace of God should taste death for every man this is called the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ he takes the place of sinners Isaiah 53 1 down through 9 describes it perfectly next verse for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Next verse. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I what? Sing and praise thee. I'll tell you what, it irks me, but I'll bet it really irks God for people to be quiet when they got so much to be grateful and to sing about. Well, that's just not me. Get over yourself. Amen. Praise God. Sing. If you don't, the stones will cry out. Now, next verse. And again I will put trust in him, and again behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Verse 14. For so much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same so that he could die. He could not die as God, but he could die in becoming 
like man. Death demands a payment. Sin demands the payment of death. And it says, And he took upon him of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil. Jesus came as a man. He came in a body prepared for him, Hebrews 10.5. It says, Thou hast prepared a body for me. Now that simply means that man, Adam, he had fallen, yet God comes and prepares a body in the womb of Mary. The blood is the blood of God. Mary, which is a woman, conceives that seed forms a body, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, so we have to understand that Jesus comes with a cause. Somebody say a cause. He knew that you and I needed redemption. He understood that there was only one way to buy that redemption, and that was for sin to be paid. In other words, Jesus dies for us, not for his own sins, but he dies for our sins. Now, Jesus comes into the world as a man. He comes into a fallen world and comes in the likeness of a fallen man. But he's not a fallen man, but he comes in the likeness of that fallen man. Therefore, Jesus comes into a world that is ruled by Satan, ruled by the curse, a world void of any type of hunger for God. Now, that's the world that Jesus comes into. That's the condition that he arrives in the manger with. He rises in the manger... He leaves a throne, but is born in a lowly manger because man has fallen. Though he was to be Lord over all creation, now he lies in the shadow of all creation. So, we see that Jesus... Can I go to Romans 3.10? This is the condition of the world. Now, I want you to see it because sometimes we think we got it rough. But Jesus comes into the world knowing how man thinks about God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh God. Somebody say none. We used to be among those numbers. Jesus comes into the world where nobody is interested in God. You think it's tough for you to witness and to tell people about Jesus? What if there was no one that sought God? And you had to come and you had to share the good news about God loving the world. 
Well, that was tough. Let's go. And then it says, they are all gone out of the way. They're all together unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is like an open sepulcher, and their tongues, they have used this seat. The poison of the ass is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith to them who are under the law that every man's mouth may be stopped and that the whole world would be guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the flesh there shall no by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, and by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now that is the world that Jesus comes into. I think it might be repeating itself in the 21st century. But Jesus comes in and if we are going to follow Jesus, we need to see that the world is still in the same condition even though God has offered them redemption. Amen? So, we must understand that in the world that we live in, we kind of are like, uh, how do I want to phrase it? How many of you remember the upper room? where they had the Passover. You remember that? There were 12 disciples set around and one was a thief. We ought to get rid of that Judas. Tell you what, he's rotten to the core. But there were other people at that table. Following Jesus, but not fulfilling his example. There was James and John. You remember them guys? Let's go to Matthew 20, 20. James and John sitting at the table of Jesus. They were just like many Christians today, we follow Jesus, but we simply, could I say, dress for the occasion, but never prepared to walk the walk. And so, here we see in Matthew 20, 20, Where are you, Matthew 20, 20? Well, you aren't in 18. There you go. Matthew 20, 20 says these words. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons and worshipped Jesus, desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, 
What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant unto these my two sons that they may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left hand in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you not able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, Well, of course we are. And he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand or on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given unto them for whom my Father has prepared it. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against those two brothers. Sounds like a great Christian gathering. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that they are that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or your servant for your promotion. And whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man, <coughs> excuse me, Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the first thing we see is, number one, John, James and John, and their mama have totally tried to tilt the cart that they're riding on. They want things their way. I told you this sounded like a good Christian gathering. And we would say at first glancing at this story, well, I'm not like John and I'm not like James. No, man, no, no, we're not like that. But let's look at ourselves. Do we not see self-ambition in much of what we do with people around us? Don't we look at people and we kind of diagnose them to see if they can help our program or our promotion, our call or our ministry? Do we not look, do we not look at people and say, how could they help with what I want to accomplish. Self-ambition is a great blinder. But what we need to do is we need to start following Christ and not just dress for the occasion. And so we turn to God when we need God to help our program. 
or when we need God to help our idea, or when we think that we could get ahead, we want God's power involved. We want to dress for the occasion, get the results, but we never really want to be a disciple of Jesus. And the fear of that in my life and in the heart of the body of Christ is that we don't even recognize that we're like James and John. John was known as the disciple of love. Sounded like it when he wanted to call fire down on Samaria. And then we realize that we want to use people to get an inside track, to get an advantage, to get ahead. It's amazing to me how interested people get when they find an easy route to pie-in-the-sky prosperity. When we need God's wisdom, we ask for it. But we don't depend on him at any other time. Now, I'm just saying this. We're going to get into Jesus lived life. But I just want to show you the type of people he lived it with. Self-promoting. Get ahead. She could have said, Jesus that they would follow you and you would complete the work that you began on them on the shores of Galilee. Jesus, that they might finish their course and they could hear, well done, good and faithful servant. She's not interested. She wants them dressed for heaven, but she's not really interested in them making it. John and James in this story shows us just how usury motivated we are. And we don't want to be that. Could I get an amen? I know, praise God, that you aren't like that. Jesus came as a light. Somebody say a light. He came as a great light into the region and the shadows of those that sat in death. What did he come as a light for? He came as a light, an example, please listen to me, of what righteousness, love, and faith could do when one put their self in the hands of God. Jesus came to show us how righteous men live. He came to show us in a godless world, he came in the likeness of man to express the way that God would live if he was a man. The question is, when we look at these men, 
and we look at Jesus, is that what we are attempting to do? Jesus is our example. He showed us how to live with God in charge. Remember, he said, I do nothing nor say nothing except I hear and see my Father do it. Now, I know that that is a far stretch that we would literally put ourselves in the hands of a just God. I know today that it's foreign thinking that we would actually trust God in everything and that when we did something, we did it right or we did it the right way. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God in his right way of doing things and all these things shall be added unto you. We so struggle like James and John, how it's unveiled about their ambitions just to be recognized as those that were going to sit beside Jesus. Our ambition is not that. Our ambition is to reflect who God is when he has our life. Jesus said, don't you know that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Is that the motivation of every believer? We worry about trivial things. Well, what, what, what if they say this about me? What if this goes wrong? What, what if, what if, what if? It doesn't matter. Those trivial things just simply locate us to the place that we have no faith in God. Trivial things. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Could I have Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 1 through 6? Hmm. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto them that he, that he should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus, when he walked on earth, now listen, please listen. He was a need meter. Jesus didn't need a physician, yet he became a physician to the sick. 
Jesus cared about lifting people up, not just about being above people. He said he preached the gospel to the poor. And that was one of the criteria of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, the servant of God. So Jesus was a need meter. He wanted people to rise up. He wanted for people to prefer others above themselves. Now I'm saying this is because Jesus still lives today. And he should be living in us. And when people come in contact with us, shouldn't they say, I think I've had an encounter with a Christian. Jesus was interested in encouraging John the Baptist's faith. When we come together, should not everybody see the Father nature in us saying they care about my faith? I mean, I'm not proud of the fact that, you know, people leave a church. I mean, I'm also less proud that people sat beside them don't even care. Remember when Jesus come, he left the 99 and went after the one. Now, I know that there's comfort and warmth and, you know, fellowship among the 99, but they really aren't important because their faith is not being challenged. Yep, let's go to John, the seventh chapter, one through ten. So Jesus wants us to be interested in people that have not arrived, the poor. Well, Jesus said they'd always have the poor with them. That's right, that means that your work is never done. It doesn't mean we just accept that they're, they're just broke. No, it means that we need to be about the Father's business. Jesus was. He was an encourager of people's faith. And it says, then, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he would not walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Jesus faced danger. In his life, he faced danger. He faced people that had a heart and a mind to kill him. And now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And his brethren therefore said unto him, Hey, depart thence and go up to Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. And there was no man that doeth anything in secret, for he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. 
for neither did his brethren believe in him. And Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. And the world cannot hate you, but it hateth me. How would you like to be filled with everybody around you hating you because you were doing right? Because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. But go ye up of this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. And when the brethren were gone up, then when he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Wow. You ever had family problems? When Jesus lived on earth, he had family problems. Now, his mom would come home probably every day and tell her the great wonders that had been done. She probably brought Mary Magdalene in. The guy said, oh, my God, now mom's going to make this a house of prostitutes. Oh, my word, mom's bringing that leper home. What's wrong with her? They saw the miracles. They saw the things that Jesus did. Yet they did not believe in him. Are a lot of your problems in your household with your loved ones, your in-laws, those that come and go, those that are cousins, uncles, is a lot of it because they don't believe in you? They don't believe what you say. They don't believe what you do. They just think you're crazy when you pay your tithe. Well, Jesus had family problems. And this family is not silent, buddy. They're just spewing what they think. What do you think Jesus did? Have John and James come over for supper? Call fire down? What do you think he did? Well, Jesus knows how to resolve family issues. And if you will pray, God will give you wisdom. Wisdom that is beyond your years to resolve family problems. I'll tell you how to quit arguing. Just make out all the time. You ever argued, David, with Sharon's lips over your lips? David, did you? Did you, David? You were yelling, let me go. You were arguing with your wife while she was kissing you. Let me see that. Could, could you please show us that little trick? That's like trying to talk with a mouthful of food. You, you can't do that. How, how do you do that? Do you do that, Randy? No what? You never kiss her or no what? Uh, can't argue when I kiss her. Okay, all right. Can't argue. So, 
you notice that these people are arguing. They're disputing the identity of Jesus. You have to be wise enough to maneuver that. Now, Phyllis's brothers and sisters are, what would you call them? Yeah. Not blessed, but they are kind of stirrer-uppers. They're pot stirrers. They never think there's enough vegetables in the pot, so it's always got to be boiling. Boiling. So, Phyllis's brother used to come to our house when I first got saved. I thought it was my job to train him in the way of the Lord. Well, every time he come, I would get so mad. After I got so mad, I felt so bad that I had to repent for getting mad for trying to protect Jesus. Finally, one day, I'm praying about it. I'm thinking, God, this guy pushes my buttons. I'm telling you, I... Oh, God, what am I going to do with him? The Lord told me, quit talking to him about doctrines. Just talk to him about forgiveness. So I quit arguing with him about the Holy Ghost, about this or about that. And so I would say when he called me, I'd say, oh, you've been listening to Charles Stanley. I said, well, what did Charles say? So he'd tell me what Charles said. I'd say, well, if you believe that, that's what you ought to do. Or I'd, he'd say, well, what does this scripture mean? I'd say, well, what's it mean to you? I become wise as a serpent. <laughs> you know, I would just, finagle my way around. But sometimes we think that we are supposed to fill the pockets of everybody around us with the pearls of God. Don't talk to sinners about tithing, about giving. Don't talk to sinners about doctrines, the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Talk to them about redemption. And if you'll just do that, then God will convict them. Preach the gospel. Don't instruct in doctrine. Amen? All right. John 7, 37, Jesus spoke to us that out of our bellies would run rivers of living water. Well, as we pray in the Holy Ghost, we can draw wisdom from the wells of the Holy Ghost. And God can give us direction that just one word will curb and stop a war. Jesus dealt with disappointment. Disappointment. How did... Peter was coming to him and he said, 
bid me to come if it's you. Jesus said, well, come. So Peter gets out there, and about halfway out, he starts doubting. He starts looking around. The waves are splashing. The wind's blowing. They were splashing and blowing before Peter ever got out of the boat. But he took his eyes off of Jesus. We know the story. He sank. You think Jesus wasn't disappointed? He said, where was your faith? Doesn't it sound to me like Jesus said, oh, man, you made it halfway. No, he was disappointed that Peter did not believe when he gave him the opportunity to experience a miracle. What did Jesus do with that disappointment? Reached down and gave him a second chance. See, Jesus lived real life. And you're going to have to give people second chances. Even though your expectations are higher than their potential, you are still going to have to get beyond your disappointment. I kind of got this. Expect nothing except the worst. Do you get disappointed? Not many times. I don't expect people to keep their word. I expect myself to keep my word. I don't expect you to show up on time because you said you was going to be there. Why? Well, it's just that old Adamic nature that you're always wrestling with. So I realize that things can happen. Your neighbor's cat can get stuck under the hood of your car. And you find it halfway when you stop at a red stop sign. It's a meow, meow. Man, what's wrong with that car? Well, it's the cat. That's a good way to get the cats out of the neighborhood, but you have to realize that things go wrong in life. Well-doing and well-planned things always break down. So don't get disappointed. My grandkids tell me, okay, Papa, we're coming down. That means this year. We fried chicken. We got mashed potatoes. Man, we got hot heads. We got, you know, wings. We got everything. We spent $500 on this promised visit, and them little rug rats don't even show up. What do you do? Get over your disappointment. How about betrayal? Peter denied Jesus three times in his darkest hour. How about being lied to? Oh, I will never leave thee, Jesus. First one to bail out. What do you do? You go on and treat it as if it never happened. And maybe in the forgiveness and your explanation, 
that they'll rise to occasion and quit lying and they won't betray you. How about abandonment? You ever felt abandoned? Well, people just don't understand me. They, just, they, they won't help me. They won't get on board and they won't support my ministry. They won't support. Jesus was facing death by crucifixion. And he took men with him to pray. And they all went to sleep. They abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. He never held it against them. He understood the fight. The flesh is weak. How about opportunities to be offended? Luke 17, 1. Forgive your brethren seven times 70. Whew. What do you think Jesus thought when he looked back over his disciples and John and James and Judas stealing the money or running off? Why did Jesus let a thief in charge of the treasury when every day or every week he was stealing money? Why would Jesus do that? He believed in the potential of an encounter with God and a life viewed by another. Jesus actually believed that if they see me, they will do what I do. Jesus said, forgive men seven times 70. We have to forgive people. Jesus had to forgive people while he lived on earth. And we have to forgive people. As followers of Jesus, we have to forgive. Amen? Hallelujah. So for those of you that have been discouraged and disappointed, it is kind of a way of life. You just got to be able to just lick your wounds and get up and go on. And expect something better next time. Never give up on people because Jesus has never given up on us. Never. Now the Bible tells us that whatsoever we blessed will be blessed. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, died on the cross, rose from the dead for the sole purpose to turn us from our iniquity that he might bless us that he might bless us. That's his purpose. He really believes that the goodness of God will keep people sin-free. It will lead us to repentance. The goodness of God can overcome the bitterness of life. 
Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands up towards heaven. Father, thank you that in the midst of a godless world, you still saw through the eyes of love the need that could be met for all of mankind. All of mankind. You sent your beloved son, sinless, to minister to us, to give his life for a ransom. He experienced life just like we do. Therefore, he is able to help them to the uttermost. He is able to continually intercede for us successfully knowing where we are. He has already been. He's able to help those that are broken. He's able to help those that are discouraged, disappointed, weary. God, Jesus, carried out your will, showed us how to live life by righteousness, by love, and by faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much. May I have, David, you're going to do this section. Bill, Randy, you'll do this section. Get up here, Randy. Bill, would you come over here? Nikki, you'll do this section. Gerald, you and Ed would do this section. One on this end and one on that end. And what I want you to do is I want you to go down and ask each family their name. Are you like the horse with no name? Yes. Okay, all right. And I want you to just take them, Ray and Annie Mooney. Moody. <laughs> and I want you to say, I bless you with the blessings of your redemption. I want you to do that to each family. I want you to mention their name and say it. Can you do that? All right, go ahead. Hallelujah. Nikki, go ahead. Here, Phyllis, you can do this right here. John, can you and Nita start right down that aisle? Marge, can you and Loretta start down this aisle? Give me one on this side. And uh, Loretta, you take this right here. Marge, you go right down through there. Is that me? Oh my word, I thought that was 
James Bond. I don't guess it is. Hallelujah. <laughs>